This is Greg Lazinski, and you're listening to Baseball BBQ. Welcome to episode 90 of Baseball and Barbecue. I am joined by my opening day co-host, none other than Jeff Cohen. Hey, Len. How are you doing? I'm good. I I was just going to say, and I'm Len Aberman, but, you know, do (laughs) I really need to say that? No, you really don't. (laughs) Baseball season started, right? Everything's good. Grilling season's here. And I want to thank Gary Mack for that introduction. And, you know, check out Gary's show, Baseball Radio Talk Show with Rich Baxter on any podcast platform or YouTube. Yes, absolutely. Jeff, I think we, there's something we need to address right away. First of all, all right, before we address it, tonight, today, t- this morning, whenever you are listening to this, we're recording it in the evening, okay? If truth, if pulling truth back, told, <laughs> we're recording this on Wednesday night, the seventh of April, and we are going to release it in just a couple of days. So here's the deal, Jeff, Dave Berger. I want you to tell us just a quick brief on that, and then Grubs from Netflix, thus the Netflix music. If anybody is like, why did they play the American Barbecue Showdown music on? But so, Jeff, first guest, Dave Berger. Yes, he has a book out called Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And it's about freakish injuries and other things that happen in, in, in baseball. It's a really cool book. It's comical and freakish injuries we cannot make up. It's a great, it's a really good book. That was fun. And then, of course, we have, I guess, you know, you see, in this case, no, I'm not going to say that we're saving the best for last for the best because Dave Berger was fantastic. But we have tonight Grubs. And not only do we have Grubs from the Netflix show, the American Barbecue Showdown, but we have our good friend Doug Shiding back to help us co-host because you know what? How can you have a pit master like Grubs on and not have another well-known pit master interviewing him absolutely but before we get to that i want to remind everybody to please rate and review us and give us a call if you want to leave a message 516-855-8214 you can email us at baseball and bbq at gmail.com check us out on facebook baseball and bbq 
Our Twitter address is at Baseball and BBQ. Instagram, Baseball and Barbecue, with barbecues all spelled out. Website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And we also have a YouTube page. Now, Glenn, before we get started here, yeah. you know what? You did an appearance on a Barbecue Central show like no other. It was fantastic. Jeff, I, I don't know. The, the people that are listening to this for the first time might not notice it, but our frequent listeners are thinking, I, I know they're there. Len just doesn't sound like himself this evening. And you know what? I'm not. Let's just address it right now. The last night, Barbecue Central show. If you if you are a listener of this podcast, there's a good chance you know the Barbecue Central show. Oh, what a disaster. I was supposed to be on. You were on. Yeah, I was on. Yeah. I saw you on. Because right. he, he does it live. That's and he right. Does it, yes, Greg Rempe, who is just incredible. I, I promote his show not that he needs us to promote his show but he's terrific he was having me on which is was very nice we were set up 9 35 he sends out the promotion this weekend what people don't realize is he and i did a, a test we did a run through and everything was perfect he had he set my he helped me set my mic up to be perfect sound or whatever it is hopefully it's helping on, on this podcast the only thing i think that would help me is mute but whatever um anyway i'm all set up 9:35 ready to go he goes to me he's like len I said, and and because it's video too he, the people watching you know they they see me i'm there he's like len Len, I, I can't hear you. And I'm like, Greg, Greg. No, no, you didn't. Nobody heard you said that. Right. I know. But, but, but I'm like, Greg, Greg. And nobody and, heard that. I, I felt like, you know, you ever have one of those dreams and everyone has those dreams where you're in danger and you're yelling and nothing's coming out and you keep wanting to shout. Everybody's had to have had one of those. No. Yes. Maybe Jeff. Okay. No. Oh. I don't remember, but okay. All right. Well, I've had those. Okay. And and if you want to let us know, contact the show and let us know you've had those dreams. But you're shouting and nobody hears you. Well, that's what it was like. Cause I, and then and then I'm like, well, let's have fun with it. So he had me try and call again because he another link. He doesn't use Zoom. He uses something else. And then when he couldn't hear me, I'm trying to do like a mime, like I'm doing in the box. You know, which, of course, wasn't working. It was just a, a nightmare disaster. But thankfully. And everybody can go see it if they go to YouTube and check uh, out the Barbecue Central show. Oh, that's beautiful. It's really. that's. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I'm hoping that because of that, we'll still get some listeners because he, you know, obviously said it on air. And Yes. So, well, you're going to go on again. And it'll be, it'll be much better. Yes. But you know what, Jeff? It doesn't matter because we, the, the, the two guests that we have tonight will take everyone's mind off my crappy appearance and it will make me feel better. Again, I apologize to Greg Rempe and, and to all listeners of the show. But you know what? They, they, may, they may finally hear me on and say, you know, his first appearance was better. <laughs> So, 
with so that, be careful. <laughs> with that, let's go to Dave Berger and take me out to the ballgame. Comical and freakish injuries we cannot make up. Injuries have been a part of baseball since the game was invented or evolved. We have with us on Baseball and BBQ an author who captures the lighter side of injuries and how they happened. Dave Berger, author of Take Me Out to the Ball Game, Comical and Freakish Injuries We Cannot Make Up. Dave, before we begin, I want to re read a review of a book for the audience. A fun, fascinating book with short chapters detailing freakish injuries in Major League Baseball. But it's actually so much more. As a sports nut and trivia buff, I find myself researching the fun facts listed and many of the players profiled. Benny McClain had me on YouTube watching his musical performances and hearing Mickey Mantle describe McClain's role in his home run record. This book can be a quick read, but if you're like me, you'll be taking lots of interesting detours along the way. That's some high praise, and thank you for being with us, Dave. So why a book on baseball injuries? Well, I tell you what, it probably started 10 years ago. I was talking with my dad. He's still up in the Cleveland area. We're catching up one, one, uh, you know, one weekend, and he's mentioned, oh, so-and-so got hurt, and so oh, how do you get hurt? And then, oh, that's stupid. And then next thing, it became a pattern as we kind of caught up. And I said, someone should write a book about this. And I said, okay, I will. And so he kept – he's retired. He kept, you know, tossing me stories here and there. And then the first one kind of probably in, the, in there that, that caught my attention was Brett Barbary from the Florida Marlins. He's at home making nachos, habanero sauce, and he goes and put his contact lens in, but he forgot to wash his hands and <laughs> burn his retina. He, he missed a couple games. But the probably the thing that got the, that got the wheels on the book, it was when Trevor Bauer in 16, I'm, I'm a big Indians fan, and game, before game two of the ALCS, ironically the biggest star of his career, he's playing with the drone at home and – he plugged it in, but the thing was on and sliced his uh, left pinky finger. They tried to stitch it up, and he pitched a third of an inning, and blood was just the city open. Blood was running down his hand, and he, he couldn't finish the game. Ironically, that game, Francona used like nine relievers. Every reliever pitched an inning, and uh -huh. we won game two. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, that's how it started. Great book, funny. I always say with baseball books, it's just amazing to me how you find. All these authors, they always find some. Whenever you think you can't find anything else to write about, <laughs> there's a book. It's <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, really good book. Book like this. You have each team. You have broken out by team. There are some teams in here, like the Pittsburgh Pirates. There's one player. The Pittsburgh Pirates have been around for years. You How is it that the Pittsburgh Pirates have one player in all that time with a freakish injury and then there are other teams like the san francisco giants i think they are like 13 explain yeah. yourself dave that's a great question I, and i can credit my son andrew he he actually he's uh he's in college now that my twins are in college and he actually stumbled. hey did you hear about this aj burnett and ironically he was the one that i needed for the pirates to complete the whole ensemble and they never really jumped off i mean as i've done the research i mean yeah, you know, David Wells played for the Yankees, but also the Padres. So he had two injuries with two different teams. Same with Glavin, Braves, and the Mets. But yeah, I mean, my my second book, Leonard, I'll I'll make sure the Pirates are are fully covered. <laughs> and and you'll dedicate it to us. Yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ironically, I went to school and now north of Pittsburgh. And funny story was I flunked the marketing test in '92 because the the Braves beat the Pirates in the game seven ALCS or NLCS. 
Sid Bream slid home, and that was Barry Bonds' last game of the Pirate. His throw had a great, good throw up the line a little bit. Lavalier couldn't, you know, sweep the tag. But Bream, I mean, he could time him the 40-yard with a sundial. But, yeah, that, so I have a little fond memories from the Pirates. I remember that game. I mean, he just beat the throw. Yeah, yes, sir. That, yes, that, was, that was a great, great moment. A lot of these freakish injuries occur at the home. I mean, I remember, you know, I'm looking, I'm clipping through, I see the wonderful Bob Ojeda. I remember, because being a big Mets fan, oh, yeah. when he was clipping uh, the, his hedges and clipped off his fingertips. And yeah. I, we go, why couldn't you get a gardener? You're making a picture. <laughs> You're making millions of dollars. You can't, yeah. <laughs> I think I mentioned a story like uh, you would think his wife would give him a break. It's 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 the uh, the NLCS the, within the, within the week. You know, it, it may wait after his start. Ironically, uh, that probably cost an NLCS, right? I mean, if he could have pitched what two or three games, yeah. And you also you also pepper it with a lot of other facts. You have the, the debut yeah. and, and last appearance, some fun facts and, and stats. So this is really not just about injuries. I mean, you got it's really a nice, good, good. Read a coffee table and just flip through it. This is great. I think, I, I, to your point, Joe, that's a great, great point. I think my mom doesn't know the difference between a home run and RBI, God bless her, but she loves the stories. And so you have a lot of the sports fans like, like the story, like I like the Al Kaline stat. I mean, at 19 years old, he throws out three consecutive White Sox in an inning each. I mean, that's amazing. And some yeah. of those stats you kind of dig up, like, wow, it is. To your point, Leonard, about the baseball, but it's like I think this does kind of a two for one. We have a lot of those stats he maybe kind of knew about, but also those fun facts that, I mean, Nolan Ryan, his last pitch was 98 miles an hour, a 46. That's nuts. That yeah. insane. Yeah. Well, you know? you know what, Dave? We've got to tell you the truth here, all right? Jeff and I were talking about when we were, having, we were going to have you on, and I said, this is a perfect coffee table book. And... <laughs> And Jeff's going to going to be I hope he's not upset with me cuz I'm I'm going to give some behind the scenes footage. No, okay. And Jeff said it's actually a perfect book for the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> and 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 both are right because I I love a book that I could just pick up I, I, anywhere. I mean I I just picked I just opened it up Ubaldo Jimenez, right? Sprained right ankle. Where parking lot when June 2014. You give information on it. You tell his major league debut, his last appearance, the teams he played for, his stats, accolades, all-star 2010. And a fun fact, pitched a no-hitter as a member of the Colorado Rockies in 2010 versus the Atlanta Braves. Now, of course, he is not, there's not a lot. But like Nolan Ryan's in here, we just were talking about, right? He's got fun facts filled with fun facts. So 11. Yeah, there's... (laughs) So this is just one of those, you will just pick this up. And every time I pick this up, I, I, feel, I, I feel like calling Jeff or something and say, Jeff, did you know Jeff Baker? You ever heard Jeff Baker? He played for Texas. This was his injury. Isn't this funny? Blah, blah, blah. On and on and on. But what I want to know is, how do you research a book like this? Well, part of it, I got to give credit to my dad. And that's a great question. Part of it, the, the, the easy part was the, with the stats with the Wikipedia because they had the facts about their stats. But then when you research a, a player, a, you know, so-and-so got hurt, you know, Bauer, then, and then it, you kind of, it's like a cornucopia. It's a, the onion doesn't, you keep peeling that onion, you keep finding articles, you kind of circumvent that with the Wiki, Wikipedia with those fun facts. And if that checks out, some of the stories did not, but then that's a great, it, it, I always had that stop because I could have had another, 
50 to 75 stories, you know? <laughs> so, but yeah, it was just, it just, you, you find like, for example, Bauer's injury. And then, then, then that article relates to, okay, the top 30 other injuries of occurred. Well, that, that's not, not fun. Oh, I remember ODB McDowell. He used to play for the Indians when I was a kid. And then just a fun little story about, about him with the Rangers, you know, and then, and then it, it kind of, Mel and I were talking about how we thought about doing categories, categories of injuries. But then I think, you know, like to your point, Jeff, the home injury get a little boring. But I thought with teams, okay, you're a Met fan, go right, you know, go right to the Mets. You know, who cares about the who cares about the Cubs? (laughs) You know, so you go to your team, and then that you kind of you got going for this. So I think it's divided up really nice. I I like it too, and uh, so I, I like those. Strange kind of facts that you, some of you have in the book, which I, I just I flipped over Roger Clemens, which who I despise, <laughs> and I glad the freakish injury that he got was bit by a dog. That, that's fantastic. Yeah. But one of your fun facts here, and I never knew this, and I'm glad I discovered this, that he's one of the pitchers who went 350 games. He won it when Joe Torre was his manager. Oh, and by the way, uh-huh. Joe Torre caught another guy who won 350 games and Warren Spahn. That was that. Yeah. That, 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 that's gold. Me. I love yeah, that yeah. stuff. Well, I, lo- I love history, and then we combine sports history. It's like it's a match made in heaven. You know, for example, you got Joe DiMaggio. He hit more home runs on the road than he did at home. Well, why? Because left center was a Grand Canyon. Right. And then it was, it was, I don't know, maybe 425, but that, that's when balls went to die with that. So, yeah, a lot of fun. Dave, I was looking through this, and I said, there's got to be an injury in here. One of the players – is found in bed by, you know, with a groupie. His wife finds him in bed, and she beats the crap out of him. I, I couldn't find that injury in there, though. And I am sure there is some player that's been injured that way. You know what? You remember, we know at, at, at Casputis, a baseball PhD, I was on one of his shows, and Chuck Finley actually got, you know, I would say beat up, but he, I guess his wife was in, the, was in a video and beat him up with, or not beat him up, but hit him with his, her um, shoe. And then, you know, Ed made a joke, well, let's just keep that for the kids or just something along that lines. But, yeah, there's probably – you look at probably the 86 Mets, right? There's probably some <laughs> – uh, Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Hojo could probably, probably tell you some stories, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's probably something about a guy uh, had to quickly get up and his pants were around his ankles and he fell, hit his head or something. Come on. I'm sure, I'm well, sure there's you know, the, the rumor. Yeah, being from Texas, the rumor with, with Hunter Pence when he – he was with his girlfriend, and when he tried to get out, the, that was who he was with his girl. And they, the, the Astros kind of just kind of, well, he, he had an accident at home. Well, the truth was, you know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, these guys are in such great physical condition, yet when they, some guy sneezes, he pulls his rib or, 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 or oblique or something, and he's, he's out. It's, it's yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Look, look at Jeremy Affelt. I mean, he had four injuries in the book. And it happened when I think that Johnson won the World Series in what 12, 10, 12, 14 or something, even, yeah. even years. He and I like I, he was a lefty because lefties are just quirky. Well, a story about Jeremy Alpha that I liked was he. I found in my research that he had a contract like four and a half million, but he agreed on on four million. But the Giants signed him at four and a half, so the Giants made the mistake in Affelt's favor. Well, Jeremy's a he's a Christian, so he's like, I feel bad. Well, he ended up negotiating renegotiating that. That, that contract and when the Giants signed him again they, they he really liked Jeremy's character so finding some really cool things about players you know characters and and stuff like that was kind of neat too. Dave if you were writing this book now I don't know when this book actually when you had to submit it but 
you've got a few for the Mets. And Jeff and I, of course, anyone who listens to this knows we're big Mets fans. But there is one that isn't in here that would be, I would think, Joanna Cespedes, right? Oh, refresh my memory. Uh, let's see. Did he, he didn't fall off a, what was it, a wild boar? A boar. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, a wild right. boar. Chased by a wild boar. Yeah. Yeah. I would think that would make the book if the book was if in the second edition. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, you know, as Glenn was saying, big Mets fans, I see that Dwight Gooden also had an injury caused by one of his teammates using a golf club in the clubhouse. And I, I, I just say to myself, it's so Mets. Do you guys remember that? Did that make the papers back in the day? Oh, it did. Anything Dwight Gooden did was big news. Wow, okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And you have one in here, Denny McLean, which was very interesting because <laughs> he he had four. Uh, what was it? The four dislocated toes or four? Tell the tell the Denny McLean one because that's yeah, great. He woke up. That, that's good. Great story. He woke up one time with with his toes or stubbed or he. I don't know if they broke, but fractured. And he was kind of a character off the field. So the rumor was he owed some mobsters some money, and the guys came by to kind of you know, rough him up a little bit. And, you know, there's two sides to every story. There's probably the truth and the, the, the real story somewhere in there. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if he missed any games. I've, I need to look that, look that, look, look to see that. Yeah, fail, fail to pay off a lost bet. Because he got kind of knee-deep knee deep in that. And that was before his 68 seasons. That was the year before. But, you know, what's great about that is that, so here are the fun facts. All right, first fun fact. Most recent of only 11 players to win 30 games in one year, going 31 and 6 in 1968. Then the last 30 game winner up to that point was Dizzy Dean, who accomplished that feat in 1934. So things like that, there is no way that a baseball fan is not going to love this book. I mean, love it. It's, and, and it's, light enough, you know, you just, you could take this with you anywhere. Yeah. I mean, this is just great stuff. I mean, it's, well, I listened to your interview with Kurt Bavakwa the other day, and you guys are up a great point. Is Gibson had what two hundred twenty-four complete games? Yeah, I mean, you you had to work your way out of a jam, and Kershaw mm-hmm. had twenty-five. So mm-hmm. you're never going to see another thirty-game winner. I mean, no. No. It, no. It's, it's it's done. No, you know, but but it was a different game, and I I think yeah, I just like you know Goose Gossage. I mean, he, he came in the seventh inning, he had a three-inning save. That's why I said that. That's my point exactly when it comes to relievers. Yeah, it's kind of hard to judge. I mean, I, 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 switching the gears of football, my son-in-law is a big Chiefs fan. He thinks Mahomes is the best quarterback ever. Well, hold the horses in the last maybe five years, but mm-hmm. it's a different game. Yeah, you know, right. so it's, you know, it's a passing league now versus a running league. But sure, yeah, to your point. Could you tell the story of your you wrote about yourself in the book uh, about Sandy Alomar? Oh, so tell us that story. Yeah, I was a valet at a nightclub in downtown Cleveland. I swear to goodness, he drove a I want don't a three thousand Mitsubishi GX, one of those sports cars. And Sandy's a big guy; he's six five. And I, I took his car and hey, what's up, man? And just uh, I was a college kid making some you know extra money to having fun. And and I drove his car. And, you know, you get behind a corner, kind of like Ferris Bueller. You just kind of you know, peel it a little bit, have some fun. And he drove that car down to Florida. I, I did a calculation like a like thousand sixty eight miles. And Sandy, he had one really good year. It was 97. I mean, he was healthy the whole year. Should have won the World Series against the Marlins. But, yeah, he came down with a sore back. And he just, just driving that dis- in that same car that I drove. 
And uh, it was never publicized as far as going to injured reserve list, but it was kind of a wink, wink. Yeah, he drove right. his car down to Florida. You know, let's just keep it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> there was one. There's one player in here when his career ended. I guess I think he was playing in Venezuela, yeah. and he lost an eye. Yeah, he got hit right. He lost an eye, and that's. Yeah. That wasn't considered. You didn't have that as a freaky injury. You just had that yeah. as a, a not yeah. even a. It was a fact. You even said it's not a fun fact, but it's yeah, a fact. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I hope I, I don't know if you guys agree that I, I, I don't want to degrade the guys. It's just that here's what happened. Right. You know, you can kind of. I didn't want to make fun, but you know, because if you know, Nolan Ryan has a copy. He actually lives in, out in this town I live in. And I didn't want to, you know, dog Nolan Ryan or, but you know, want to be careful of just having fun, but also not attacking their character. I think was there a story that you guys when you when you guys as Met fan did you did you remember some of those stories when it happened when it came out in public or oh I remember the Bobby Huida one very oh, very clearly yeah. that was uh, that was a, a big deal because they were in the uh, playoff run and, and uh, that's when he got hurt and then we lost the picture yeah but, yeah I don't, don't remember if you've uh, you probably didn't put this in here but I remember Vince Coleman throwing the firecracker outside Dodger Stadium I mean that was just a yeah. stupid thing to do. Uh, Bart Sabag and using bleach in the in the clubhouse, and that you know all that stupid stuff. Yeah, I like with Vince Coleman. I, I, I it was kind of cool how I, how I found some pictures with that because you know that tarp at eighty five that man I could have cost them World Series. Yeah, they got to the World Series, but I, I was able to find some of those pictures that went with the story. I mean, if you look at George Brett, that that that's hilarious. I mean, he he went four for four for three thousand hit, and as I think his third hit after three thousand, he got picked off. <laughs> yeah, that, right. that unwritten rule you can't pick off a hall of famer <laughs> you know, he has the arms up like this like come on guys so i did able to find some pictures i mean i think one of my favorites is kyle denny the second story with the tribe i found a picture of him dressed up as a a, a, a usc cheerleader and with a picture with his mom and he, he he's wearing those those white boots up to his up to his knees and a cheerleading outfit with a fake wig they, they, they get on the team bus they're going to kansas city and a stray bullet goes through the bus and hits him in the boot and the, the trainer's like listen that boot actually helped you from having any further injury and he pitched in it in two weeks he's in the midget for two weeks which is amazing wow. amazing yep yeah mo vaughn in here mo vaughn who obviously you know he played for the mets he played for boston he played for the uh anaheim but i guess the injury happened when he was with anaheim Vaughn's start, I got to read this, Vaughn's start to his Anaheim career did not begin well in 1999 as he fell down the visitor's dugout steps on the first play of his first game. In 2000, he ended up missing a game when a piece of drywall from a leaking ceiling tile fell and landed on his eye, causing him to miss a game. That's, wow. I, yeah. I don't even know how you found things like that, but yeah, and, and part, I mean, he signed, right, because he played for Boston, then he signed a big, a big contract at Anaheim. And mm. it is a big deal, you know, to go yeah. from East Coast to the West Coast. And, and you have a bullseye on your back with that big contract, you know. And, you know, he left Boston. He had, I think he probably had a bigger – did he have a, a decent run with the Mets? Where you got nope. now? Nope. Really? No, 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 oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> usually players come to the Mets and their careers die. I mean, right. <laughs> <we> have, <laughs> it's called careers. Career Carlos suicide. Fierga, uh, Roberto Alomar. <laughs> they came to the Mets and boom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Career suicide. But yeah, it's funny. My I have a friend of mine in Ohio. He actually went to the Bayerger game when he became the first person that homer from both sides of the plate in the same inning. 
Uh-huh. It was April 8th of, of 93, the cold day in, in Cleveland. But it was at, 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 at the old stadium, which was a dump. Right. And, um, that was fun. And that was kind of fun to watch it when you, you know, do the research on Mo Bond, you YouTube some highlights or try to find some of those things. Like, you know, you go to Dennis Martinez. I was I was eight years old when Len Barker pitched the, the, the perfect game for Indians, the tribe. Well, Ron Hassey was the catcher for, for Len Barker. Well, he's also the catcher for Dennis Martinez for his perfect game with Montreal. Well, Hassey's the only catcher to catch two perfect games. You know, so, and I was able to find a picture of Hassey hugging Dennis Martinez. Uh-huh. So and then, in that game, it's kind of funny because that was the, the first no-hitter in Dodger Stadium. Oh, okay. So, Speaking of Cleveland Indians, you, you said about their stadium. It looks like the cover of your book is, is from the Cleveland uh, the Progressive yeah, Field. I, well, if, if you clean it out there, this is, we call it the Jake. It's called Progressive Field now, but it's – you know, when it opened '94, it was Jacobs Field, so you know we called the Jake. You know, it's hard for us to kind of go to Progressive Field, beautiful ballpark. In fact, I took my wife there for that Twins game when Kepler hit three three straight home runs off of Trevor Bauer off three different Bauer pitches. Uh-huh. So she's looking around the stadium and she's looking at she's looking at the at the pillars of uh, World Series champ. She goes, "You haven't won in a while, have you?" Said, no, we have not. <laughs> The book is called Take Me Out to the Ball Game. We are speaking to the author, Dave Berger. And Dave, we love the book. So thank you. It's freakish injuries. Tell us, you personally, you have a freakish injury that you want to share? Oh, wow. Well, it's, it's fine. I will say that getting back to that, what you said, Jeff, about, about injuries at home, I think that's one thing I really, really, um, respect to the players because they do the honeydew list because baseball it's a long season it's a lot of lot of downtime and they still have to live their lives i mean they're they're like us either they're, they're you know they're not you know the lebron james 6 8 but they're they're average guys but doing average chores and getting hurt like we did golly i think probably the friction i think the first thing that came up <laughs> i was still living in ohio at the time in college and i was working out and we we're going to do a three-on-three basketball tournament that weekend and I, I was doing some dumbbell press. A guy was spotting me, and I let down the the dumbbell. And he goes, "You okay?" He's like, "Yeah, why?" And the the dumbbell pinched my. There's another dumbbell on the ground, <laughs> and it pinched my finger, and my fingernail went straight up, straight up, and it just looked at a ninety degree angle. Uh, let's go to the hospital. So uh, I, had to, I had to shoot with one hand. <laughs> so, uh, that is anyway, freakish. That's freakish yeah, Jeff and I were talking. I'm like, you know. Reading this book makes you like think of all the freakish injuries because you, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't have some kind of freakish injury, you know. I think what's made this unique is that we would never have found out about these injuries except they're in the public eye, right? Jerry Affel, his son jumps on him twice, he gets hurt, he sneezes. So, you would never have heard about these unless you're playing on TV, exactly. So, so human. One of the big ones I remember very clearly and you have it in the book, is for Jabba Clamp Chamberlain when he was jumping up and down on a trampoline, and he really seriously hurt himself. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. yeah. Ironically, there's a, a friend of mine. He's from Lincoln, Nebraska, originally. We have family there. So that one of the guys I was talking to, he actually went to him and Jabba are friends. So next time I'm up in Lincoln, I'll make sure I get him a book. that. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, I also remember the one where uh, Aaron Boone got hurt. Now, now he's managing the Yankees, but he was playing basketball, voided his contract, and it was uh, you know just a few months after he hit that big home run against the Red Sox. 
Yeah, and I, I actually he was talked into playing basketball with by his by his brother in law, and he didn't really want to go. I, I did the research. I didn't. I couldn't put that in there. But yeah, I'll get up there and play some cardio. And he got hurt. And actually, Val Macheski, who uh, did on the back of the book, he know him from church and a real good guy. He played for Baltimore. And I, the day it happened, those guys were playing basketball and, you know, cardio. Or they made it the next day. And the guy comes out, we're not playing ball today. He goes, why? He goes, Aaron Boone just blew out his knee or, you know, whatever, playing basketball. We can't, we, we're, we're done. You know, Jeff Kent. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure when that maybe happened with the with the Mets with the Giants. Yeah, Giants. Wheelies. Yeah, we're doing wheelies, and he said he was washing his truck. Well, yeah, that's not in your contract. <laughs> right? Didn't the Mets and Baumgartner do something stupid also? With- yeah, and I was able to find the picture of him in a sling, and he he owned it. He goes, "Man, I, I screwed it up. I, I ride my dirt bike, and and then and then there it is." And then I was able to find Jeremy Affel in the sling. And I, I like, I think they, um, we put on in the book, I thought those burgers were thawed because he, uh-huh. he messed up his, his right hand. Yeah, I've heard with the burgers, that burger sleeve, those get really solid, frozen. I know a lot of people who they take a knife and they try to go through. And when it does, it, I've, that's yeah. a, the, the, yeah. that injury. Yeah, he, and he spent eight hours in surgery, almost yeah. hit an artery. I mean, yeah. it, was, yeah. it was pretty pretty bad. Yeah, that's, but. Yeah, that's more common than you think, though. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah yes, sir. But, and he's a lefty. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so you were talking about the honeydew list. And so Bob Stanley, perfect example. He was taking out the garbage, right? And he slipped on some icy stairs, landed on a piece of glass. Several tendon and nerves were damaged. Four hours of surgery. Uh, you know, that's, I don't think he's yeah. taking out the garbage anymore. <laughs> Exactly. I think the guy should be exempt from those honeydews during the season. You know, yeah, just I think they should just go to the game, sit on the couch, especially during playoffs or if they're do if they're uh, you had somebody in there, they were in a playoff chase. I'm sure there's many players in there that, and then they missed by one game making the playoffs. So I yeah. think just they they really should just be in a bubble. They <laughs> keep them. It should be like the boy in the bubble. You know, <laughs> bubble boy. Bubble That's boy, it. yeah, yeah. Right. Well, you know, there's a guy that, uh, Jim Barr, who played for the Angels. He was Nolan Ryan's teammate, and they just clinched AL West, and then someone held up a held up a toilet seat, and he thought it was a fake one, and the Angels number two, and he and he hit the thing. Well, he didn't know it was actually a porcelain toilet seat, and he hurt his hand, and that was the first time the Angels had made the playoffs in their, in their history. He couldn't pitch in the playoffs. <laughs> and that's something you can't tell people. I mean, how'd you get hurt? You got to make up an excuse. You got to punching a toilet seat. No, you got that becomes later on. That story becomes, yeah, man, we got in a bar fight or something. You know, you can't punch in a toilet seat. That's just not, <laughs> how, how do you live up to that? It's, uh, yeah, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the book is called take me out to the ball game, comical and freakish injuries. We cannot make up. Dave Berger is the author. Great book, fun book. Get it? Dave, tell people where they can get the book. Uh, you know, the, the easiest way I can autograph it for you guys is, is baseballinjurybook.com. That's baseballinjurybook.com. And I'll throw in a couple of baseball cards of your favorite team, and I'll, I'll send it out to you. Or you can go on Amazon. It's off of Amazon, also Kindle. But I'll, once again, the autograph version on the, on the website. This you got to get this. Now, Dave, we almost made it sound like we're wrapping up, but we are no, not we, wrapping no, up. No, we're not. Well, no. you know what? We could have talked about everybody in the book, and we want people to get the book. 
Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Thank you. Let's cut As it they off. say, we only scratched the surface. <laughs> we, there's, there's so much in this book. Yes. And, and the Thank funny you thing is you're going you're gonna to reread stuff too. You're going to want to come back to stuff. We, we endorse this book like Oprah. Okay. <laughs> we are, you know, Dave, you may not know this, but we are the Oprah Winfrey's of baseball books. Nice. All right, baseball All right. and barbecue books. When we endorse a book, we guarantee you're going to sell at least a copy. I mean, okay, you, there you go. <laughs> I'm getting them right now. Holy smokes. <laughs> All right. So, Dave, right now you're from Texas, right? You're originally yes. from Ohio. Now you're from Texas. Yes, sir. And uh, we, we learned that just before we started this interview. So baseball and barbecue, you're the perfect guest. Let's talk some barbecue. All, All right. right. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about those long lines at Aaron Franklin's if you ever have or you ever will stand in them to get a piece of brisket. Yeah, I will not stand in line for a piece of brisket. I, I, I was telling you a story offline that Kanye West was in town four or five years ago, and he uh, wanted to cut in line or try to get some money cut in line. They're like, no way. So he had to wait in the back of the line. It, and if people get there, you know, you know, eight, eight, nine in the morning. It's right, right across the street uh, from the Capitol. It's on the east side. Yeah, very famous. And of course, Snow, she's only up on Saturday mornings. Yeah, I, you're right. I think she works for the school district. And uh, once she runs out, once she runs out of food, she closes. Right. So you, well, I would go there just because it's Saturday morning. And that was, and then the, the store I want to tell you, I, there was a, my favorite ones in Luling, Texas, which is probably about an hour east of, of Austin called City Market. And I, I, during my day job, I was working. I, I was telling you guys, I had $4 in my wallet. And I told my customer, Wyatt Deese, I said, Wyatt, I got four hours in my wallet. I want to try City Market. What do you think I should do? He goes, well, just tell them what you got, and they'll hook you up. And so they gave me a ring of sausage, a, a slab of uh, brisket, and some crackers, and their famous sauce. And, man, it was it was outstanding. And they, they wear their helmets, you know, in the, in the pit master. And the older the pit, the, the better it smells, no doubt. Here in New York, I think, I would say I, we have some barbecue places, but you're going to find pizza places and bagel places. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but I hear in Texas, you are, you're surrounded by barbecue places. Yeah. And I'll give a plug into my son-in-law. He uh, runs a restaurant in, in Sanger, Texas called Bolivar street barbecue. It's in Sanger. Really? It is probably about, oh, about 30 to 45 minutes, a little bit West of Fort Worth. And he has a great avocado roll. Drew Pearson from the Cowboys have been there, endorses that. It's a real good family restaurant, real simple menu, but it, don't let the simple menu fool you from the food. It's, it's outstanding. And uh, so, yeah, plug in, plug in for uh, Boulevard Barbecue. Oh, yeah. Wait, so he's considered a pit master then? I, you know, that's a great question. I know he runs his owner. I, I, don't, right. I, yeah, I don't know what, what entails a pit master. I wasn't sure if it's like years of service that well. makes you steam or is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, there's debate on that. I've, I've heard on other podcasts and stuff what constitutes a pit master. It's thrown around, you know, pretty pretty much. But in my understanding too, and you may you know this better than I do, there's there's different types of barbecue. And Memphis is more of the dry rub and mm-hmm. Texas is a little bit different than Kansas City. So did you guys have a preference on on what kind of barbecue you got, you guys like or the edible kind. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I can eat it, I like it. Okay. I know <laughs> I know you're in beef country. Brisket is huge where you are. Yeah, yeah. Well in fact it's funny because we it, you know, being from outside of Cleveland, Ohio, we, we said cookout growing up. Cookout was uh, hamburgers and hot dogs with a salad. You know, but barbecue is different. You know, barbecue is 
yeah, it's it's a different ballgame down here for sure. Right. Live fire cooking, you know, whether what, however you're doing it, you're outside, you're cooking over fire, you're cooking with fire, whatever. It It's all great. So, so babe, oh. are you working on anything else? Uh, another book or yeah, is it Sorry, I'm, yeah, in two years, I'll probably put on another edition. I'll just kind of keep track of injuries. I may, I may keep some of the injuries in there that, that are kind of classics, probably the, the famous ones, the Al Kaline, Joe DiMaggio. But yeah, one book, and I got to wait till I, my wife tells me I can write another one. <laughs> but I, I want to, the, the other book I want to get is, is the, uh, uh, switching to football, is that the top three games in each franchise history. So if you're a Jets or a Giants fan, okay, what were the top three games in Jets history? Right. Oh, okay, Super Bowl three. But what's another another two? Could've there aren't any. Yeah, <laughs> there yeah, aren't yeah. any for the Jets. <laughs> but memorable games, and so that that'll be more, that'll be some more research because uh, we love baseball. I think our age group, it, uh, we grew up with, with baseball, but this is a football country. So I think uh, mm-hmm. the market is with the baseball is our age on up that we grew up with it. Our our dads took us to the game. We we they taught us how to keep score. And there's just a love affair. And baseball is such a unique sport just because there's no time limit. And, and the scorecard tells a story. It really does. You know, it's just you can tell, okay, what did, what did Beltron do? Well, you can tell, okay, he did this. And, and it just tells – and football, football doesn't do that. But you could, yeah, you could have a nice little franchise going with <laughs> every sport. You really, you really could because players, they get hurt at home. That's yes, the they do. <laughs> right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Dave, we, we thank you so much for taking your time. This is, you know, absolutely. Everybody get the book. Repeat the, the website, please. It's baseballinjurybook.com. Baseballinjurybook.com. You go there, buy the book, get an order, get it autographed by the, by the author, and you might throw in a baseball card or two. Dave. Dave, thank you for joining us. Awesome. Thank you. We Thanks, thank guys. you. Jeff? Yes. That, I, I love that segment. I really do, because... As, as was said in there, the things that these baseball authors come up with, you know, you never want another player to be injured, right? Everyone always says, we don't want that. But you know secretly, if, if the Mets were playing the Angels, let's say, interleague, right? Well, I'd want to see Mike Trout, actually. So that's a bad example. But sometimes you're okay with a player that gets injured and doesn't play the game, you know? But the injuries in this are just, you know, just. Yeah, I kind of, kind of like uh, Roger Clemens getting bit by a dog. Oh, you were. <laughs> so first of all, now that now that you said that, we'll never get him on the show. <laughs> but you do not hold back, boy. There, you you do not hold back. You do not like Roger Clemens. That is that is. But I enjoyed that so much. And yes. The book. Guys, that I, I hope you guys are all supporting the authors that come on this show. It's not like they 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 don't make a fortune. He, Dave Berger is not making a fortune off his book on on freakish injuries. The amount of time he put in researching that, and it's just a great book. Yes, it is. You'll go to it time and time. Very very good book. Yes. And now, who we have on next? We have none other than Grubs from the American Barbecue Showdown with our special co-host, Doug Shining. And I hope everyone enjoys this. I'm going to give a shout out to my friend, John Krause, because I know he uh, likes barbecue and hopefully he's en- going to enjoy this interview too. Our guest calls himself the Backwoods Grill Billy. 
he was one of the pitmaster contestants on Netflix's The Great American Showdown, and he was certainly one of the most entertaining. His competitive spirit, along with an incredible cooking ability, helped him to get along in the competition. But it's his down-to-earth, colorful personality, which has endeared himself to millions of viewers and made him someone we couldn't wait to have on. His name is James Grubbs, but he goes by Grubbs, and Baseball and Barbecue is thrilled to welcome Grubbs to the show. Grubbs, welcome to Baseball and Barbecue. Man, I don't thank all you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. It's not more, more than I like to do, talk about barbecue, and let's have a little fun. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. I, let me just introduce you right now. Of course, we have a special guest. We thought with someone of your stature, okay, someone, Easy you know. Who, <laughs> but, I'm kind of humble by that. Let's not get crazy with it. Okay? I know. I'm, I'm kidding with you. But <laughs> I... <laughs> We wanted to have on somebody else who is very well-versed in the world of barbecue, and that is none other than our friend of the show, Doug Shiding, who actually is a representative for Traeger Grills, which is one of the grills used on the show, which we'll, we'll get to. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, so now that, now that the introductions have been made, okay, and before we, before we get to the show, and I mean, your life is so much more than the show, obviously. Tell us... How did you get started, basically, in the world of barbecue? I mean, what age did you start realizing how much you loved this? I'm going to tell you straight up, man. I I grew up in a four, this is a time I, I came from a broken home, basically, in the projects of Louisiana. I got shipped to Florida to live with my dad. And there were six kids in the house. My brother and I, 14-year-old at the time, we went and built us a camp up in the woods about 200 yards from the house because there's just too much garbage going on in the house all the time. Six kids and parents and la, la, la. And we started grilling squirrel and deer and whatever we could basically get out the freezer without the parents catching you on an open fire and just hanging out in the woods. And that's where it starts since I was 14 years old. And I mean, and, and people may look at this as a downside, but see, one of my first jobs was working like in a fast food restaurant. And uh, that endured me even more to the process of getting this cooked and getting it cooked right, but not only cooking outside. So it was a, it was always an interest of mine at that point because the way I grew up, if you was going to eat, you had to cook. Simple as that, you know? Mm-hmm. And my mom was not a good cook. I ain't going to lie to you. I ain't going to blow us on smoke <laughs> up nobody, but she just wasn't a good cook. If it wasn't pot roast and spaghetti or pimento cheese, that's it, you know what I mean? So you learn to cook. And my brother and I would love to get away from the house, hang out in the damn woods for two or three days and cook. I mean, we started with squirrels and rabbits just – basting with butter and vinegar over an open wood fire on just a grate that we we scavenged and built and hid in the woods to do it, man. I mean, and it's been a, for 40 plus years now I've been barbecuing. I absolutely love it, man. I, it's, a, it's a blast to me. And you can tell that everybody who watched the show can tell that you love it. I mean, you were just so endearing and so friendly to everybody and it was just a, a joy to watch. I wouldn't ask you, now you're living in Georgia. I've heard of Memphis-style barbecue, Texas-style, Kansas City. I never heard of Georgia-style barbecue before before the show. So could you explain what Georgia-style barbecue is? Well, I'm going to give you my opinion on that. That's all it can be because we live so close to North Carolina. We live so close to Tennessee. I mean, actually, I'm like 15 miles from Tennessee. I'm a mile and a half from North Carolina. It's a whole different ball game, and it just goes up 120, 200 miles in either direction. The way I say it here is a mixture. Okay, one thing about Georgia, though, they seem to like a sweet sauce around here where I live, which, and I'm not even a big sauce guy. I'm, we, that's a whole other question. 
But uh, it's a mixture of all of them, man. I mean, it's like I can get down with mustard and vinegar sauce just as soon as I can get down with a red vinegar pepper sauce right here where I live. And it depends on what kind of meat you're cooking. I mean, uh, but Georgia barbecue, it's a mixture. It's a total mixture, man. I live in the mountains, so that's even a little bit different because we live in chicken country up here, okay? This is like Gainesville, Georgia, on the side of the mountains, the chicken capital of Georgia. We got chicken farms everywhere. So where you got a lot of pork butts and ribs around Georgia, we do. I do a lot of chickens, and I love it. I absolutely love doing whole chickens. But I can't, I can't pigeonhole myself and say, well, Georgia is this particular style because – Hell, I'll cook a whole hog. In my opinion, if you're going to make a sandwich, you should do the whole shoulder, the butt and the ham all together. You know what I mean? But that's my opinion, the way I live up here. And But it's a pork butt up here is king. Chickens are king up here. And uh, the sauce varies. I mean, that's, to me, that's the hardest thing for me to judge, man, up here is what people like in a barbecue sauce. And how uh, I many people required on their damn food to begin with, you know, because I've seen people up here put coleslaw on a sandwich, and they say, well, that's North Carolina style. You know, but then Alabama's right down the road, and they got white sauce you put chicken on. I like that. I'm not going to sit there and make it every time I do a chicken, but I like it. So it's, it's such a mixture of, of all the region because of where we're located. I think we're surrounded by, like, these major, you know, North Carolina style, you know, Tennessee style, Kentucky, whatever it is, Kansas City style, and you get all this, but it's – it's such a mixture, and being in the mountains, it's even it's different than it is even in Atlanta. I'd say. I mean, when I do brisket up here, people go crazy. They don't know nothing about no damn brisket up here. But when you cook a brisket up here and you cook it right, I'm from Southwest Louisiana. I cook a Texas style brisket. They go crazy. They're like, "Damn, man, I ain't never had nothing like that." Before. You know, what I mean? but it's just not. It's not a big thing, you know. I mean. But you can get butts and chickens. You can get half chickens all day long about every corner during the holidays and the festivals, you know. And that's just the way it is. I mean, where I live in Georgia, you know. And I've been here 25 years now, so it's hard Doug, for me to pick a Georgia style. Doug, what about Texas? Sure. You know, Texas is – brisket is king in Texas, right? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, Grubbs, you mentioned that you cook brisket. What type of style, you know, is it, you know, central Texas, which is, you know, the black pepper and salt or, or, yeah, the Texas Trinity, as they call it, the SPG. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I trim on my way. I ain't never watched no video on how to trim a brisket, but I know I need so much fat in that brisket. I prefer to cook a whole packer, point and flat together. Yep. I just prefer to cook them that way. And if I'm going to separate and do burn ins, I'll separate it later. But I may just slice it and eat it. And I trim it to where I think it's good. And I love it, man. I tell you, brisket to me is the bomb. Okay? And I'm not even talking about taking a brisket necessarily and smoking it for 8 or 10, 12 hours. Grinding brisket for burgers. Using brisket meat for tacos. Yep. Brisket. Brisket. And when you start thinking about the price of two ninety eight a pound, and that's, you know, that to me, that's getting an expense. That's cheaper than going to buy ground meat. And I got grinders because I'm a sausage fool. And I'll, take, I'll cut a brisket up and run to the grinder just to make burgers with or make stew meat with even. I mean, well, why it's going to be stew meat? You're going to cook the crap out of it anyway, so it's going to be tender. But it's so beefy tasting. It's a killer cut of meat, man. But people in North Georgia don't, don't uh, I mean, they go eat brisket at a restaurant, but they don't appreciate good brisket up here. I yeah. mean, I ain't trying to be pointing no fingers to nobody. But that's just the way it is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you you make a lot of sausage. Do you do you, do you agree with that uh, seventy thirty blend that uh, Melissa said on the show? I mean, you make a lot of sausage yourself. 
Yeah, I do. And I don't know. I follow him. I've been, and I've been trying. My goal is to be the sultan of sausages up here in North Georgia, actually. So I've been bringing a lot of sausages. But I, no, I tell you what, straight up, 70-30, I think that's a little greasy for me, personally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm more of an 80-20. I might even go 75-25. And if I do a summer sausage, I'm going to go a little bit leaner than that, maybe even 85-15 on the summer dry sausage type thing, where my fat's ground up a little bit bigger than the meat's ground up. So it's predominant when you slice into that summer sausage, you see those little pieces of fat and stuff. But if I'm making a sausage, like I've been making, dude, I got, I'm going to do this one coming up, a smoked sausage though with garlic and pepper in it, a pork mm-hmm. smoked sausage just with fresh peppercorns and garlic in it. I got that one coming up and it's so beautiful hanging in the smoker. I love to see that by the way. It's just, it'll be about 80, 20. You know, and it may be it may be a little bit higher. Maybe it may be 82, 18, you know, somewhere in there. But you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna straight up. I'm gonna take pork butts, whole pork butts, and I'm gonna grind them. And I ain't gonna add nothing to it. So whatever the pork butt I bought to make the sausage with, but I think double grinding it to the lower, the smaller uh, diameter at the end makes for a better mouth feel. You know, when you go, I go, I'm grind it hard at three eighths or whatever, and uh, or half inch and add all the season and down to three sixteenths. And that just makes a better mouthfeel, especially if it's stuffed in a casing. You know, if you want to look at the, the way it's hung, go to James Grubb's Instagram page. There's a couple of pictures on there, and you're right. It looks great just hanging there, uh, smoking there. It's beautiful, man. It's, it's a beautiful thing, you know what I'm saying? And people love it, man. I mean, it's, it's, I make more money selling sausages than I do selling smoked pork butts because I can get so much money for the sausage, $10 a pound, and I enjoy doing it. I mean, I absolutely love doing it you know so it's a it's a good thing you know i want to be the sultan of sausages one day up here maybe the sausage sensei of north georgia i don't know so, so grubs how, how does it feel to be a celebrity now i don't know about all that i mean it's, it's <laughs> weird okay i'm thankful that we have to wear masks okay because i work in a grocery store two days a week so I'm okay with people not recognizing me all the time because there's some freaks out there man i'll tell you there's two dudes in England who got my name tattooed on their legs. Okay. Really? One with a, yeah, one with a grill under it, one with a sausage under it. Wow. And I've had, I mean, yeah, the quick, I had some dude just call my house. I had some South Carolina. I said, how the hell do you get my phone number? He says, well, we can Google anything. I'm like, damn, that's kind of creepy, you know? So, you know, I'm just glad those guys are across the pond and, you know, what it is. But it's uh, it's been weird, man, because I've been humbled by the whole thing. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I went, most of the people don't realize I went down to do that show as an alternate. Okay. Yep. When I went down, there was 10 people. When I left, when I, we started filming, there was eight. Okay. We're going to leave it at that. But when I went down there and I've known Miss Tina for years, I was on American Grilled with Miss Tina. I was the alternate when she won that five, seven years ago, whatever it was on Travel Channel. And uh, so I've known her. And then I see, you know, I would walk the set and I see the name on the door where the, I see Rutledge Wood, Rutwood. I think, hell, I know who that is. Then you see Bloodsoe's name on there. I'm like, holy mackerel. <laughs> I mean, to me, it was an experience. That you, I, straight up, the most fun you could have with your damn clothes on. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, I was in like barbecue. And that's like Disney World for a serious barbecue. Every toy, the best meat, everything that you could have to barbecue with was put there right in front of you to work with. It's amazing. Grubs. How does it work? Okay, first of all, have you always had a desire to be on television or to be in theater or to be in front of people? And then the second thing is, 
did you first see something and approach Netflix? Do they approach you? I mean, take us through the process because this is something that is just, first of all, it's fascinating. I, I want to get like really behind the scenes. I have so many questions as I watch that show and there are so many things that you want to know because it's not just your show. These reality shows, these reality cooking shows, they, they've become such a big thing. So how, how does it work? Well, I can tell you from my experience, minutes, four or five years ago, and I don't know where I saw the casting call was probably on social media. Okay. There's a cat is a barbecue forum or a cooking forum. And it's all started with American grilled on the travel channel, five, six, whatever it was years ago. And a casting call. I think to myself, I've been doing this for years. I mean, I went and rib cook-offs up here locally. I raise money for fight cancer doing ribs every year. And, you know, I've never done anything else besides I've never done a professional cook-off. I've always done these little local yokel things with, you know, the commissioner, judge, and police chief. But people start saying, well, damn, Grubbs, that's good, blah, blah, blah. And you figure you've been doing it for long. And so you put in for this. You put in a casting call. And you turn down. This is actually the third show that I've been, that I've been actually on TV on this show. Okay. This is not my first venture into television, but it came from like my cone holders. If y'all know anything about Grubbacume that y'all watched episode four, the Mm -hmm. cone holders, I got cone holders, man. I've been selling pimping cone holders for damn five, seven years now. You know, I got on a show called hatched, which was on the, uh, CW network. I believe it was. It's on Hulu and stuff. You can watch it. I think it was season one, episode 21 is Grubbs and his cone holders. But uh, so that came into play. And then so you're in this little group or this little click or something, you know, for people. And they, you know, you've been done been on TV. People have seen you. And so you go to the next and all of a sudden I get an email like, well, hey, you want to uh, be an extra down in Atlanta? We'll pay you so much a day. Get, you know, you gas, blah, 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 blah. Just to do that. So I ended up, I said, well, you know, I ain't got nothing to lose. I had to dress up. I had to hide my tattoos because I wasn't supposed to be tattooed on this little thing. I was like an extra for a commercial or whatever it was. And I went down there. They paid me the money. Then well, you wouldn't believe three days later, I get this other call all of a sudden from the show on TLC, Sister Pooh, called She's in Charge. My wife and I are on that uh, episode eight of She's in Charge. And it has to do with my tattoos. So you get in this pipeline. Of things, you know, but and you see these casting calls, and I can tell anybody that wants to do it. First of all, it was a blast, 100%. But it's a lot of work to get on the show. Videos, they actually paid a pit master to come to my house on Memorial Day of 20, whatever year we filmed, 2019 it was, and taste my barbecue at my house. So I had to cook for this dude to come up, and then they send you stipends and money, so you cook and video and da 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 da. And it was Skype interviews, and it was like, it was a lot, man. Some psychological interview, a background check. You had to do a psychological test, you know, to make sure you weren't going to freak out on, when you was up there, you know. So it was, it was uh, there was a lot to get to the point of getting on there. And I, I know they had over 1,500 applicants. And said, so when I got there on Saturday, they rolled up here and picked me up in my house three hours from set. They wouldn't let me drive. Because they didn't want to be responsible for your car down there or whatever it was. And I go down there and there's 10 contestants. And then you realize how big it is. It's Netflix. It's like, holy cow, man. This is, <laughs> I'll tell you, man, every time I get home after filming every day, and I call my old lady up here and join. I said, damn, man, I'm still here. You ain't going to believe this. <laughs> I ain't coming home yet. You know, I was like, because I never expected, man, I went down as an alternate. I think I'd make about three or four days. I, I had to go wash my drawers after four or five days. I didn't have enough clean clothes. You know what I'm saying? 
So I was like, damn, man, I can't believe it. But I just, I made up my mind to go down there and have fun, do what I do, enjoy it, and learn something. Because I ain't, just because I'm damn near 60 years old, I mean, I can't stop learning. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing, man. It's a blast for me to do it. And I, but, but Grubbs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Jeff and Doug ask you questions, but I have to interject no. one thing. Because as I'm watching this, and I think you know this, because probably people have been telling you this your whole life. And to quote a show that I like called Newsies, you've got personality, okay? <laughs> and you know, okay? Yeah. Hey, if you, you know, know anybody that's trying to cast a barbecue uh, moonshine making show, tell them to hook me up, brother. I can do it with them. Let's, let's ride with it. <laughs> Ruin and cueing, baby. <laughs> and, and that's got to be, that, you know, the contestants on that show, not only can they cook, but every one of them is likable, comes across as just as just really, you know, some more than others, okay? But what you saw was real, man. I'm telling you. What you saw was real as far as the camaraderie mm-hmm. and the togetherness with these people. It was not there was no cutthroatness in this whatsoever. This was one hundred percent true love. Man, and we're all barbecue family now. We all stay in touch. We all keep everybody doing their own thing. You know, some people get more opportunities than others. That's all cool, man. But it was fun. And just I was totally amazed as how the uh, cast wranglers, what I called them, and the producers, you know, how they put such a, and they, a group of people together and maintain, you know, maintain what they wanted to do. Because it, it was it was real, man. It was uh, it was unbelievable. It really was. Now, did you didn't you uh, have to give up your phone and watch? But you said you were able to call your wife and, and stuff. So at the uh, hotel room, yeah, no, there's no phones on set whatsoever. So okay, every okay. morning you if you brought your phone. That, no, that's a no, 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 no. So you leave it in the room and you go and film. And then when you got back to the hotel, you know, and some days it was 12 hours. Some days it, one day it was, I think that picnic day, we filmed like 17 hours, dude, because of rainstorms and we had to go in and blah, blah, blah. It was like, it was a long day, man. You know, wow. you talked about camaraderie and, and you could see it. There was that one, there was that one part where Ashley was making something and I guess he he overcooked it. I think it was the Yucatan or something, right? Or yuca. He, he overcooked it. And uh, it ended up being mashed potatoes or mashed. Mm-hmm. And I forget who it was. It was Rashid. Over to him. Rashid. Yeah. And yeah. really encouraged him to stay. And I have a feeling that... was the that, Wild Game. Yeah, that was the one episode with the Wild Game. And he just... Yeah. His gator was getting overdone. It was, a, it was a lot of big deal going on right there at that time, you know. And we had to... We had to hem it all up, man. Keep it going, you know. I mean, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And you had no clue in that episode you were getting. Well, you got bison and you got and raccoon, possum. right? Awesome. 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 Right. You know, yeah. And I'm gonna tell y'all straight up, that possum was off the chain, baby. I ain't gonna <laughs> lie to you. It, I, as far as the stewed possum goes, man. I and like when I was telling Blood, so you, Granny Clampett ain't got nothing on this one. I'm telling you, man. That sweet potatoes <laughs> they cooked down to make a nice gravy. In the pot with the mushroom and the carrots and the way the sweet potatoes just melted. And it's like, you know, one of y'all didn't see what she had. To, uh, Melissa had to pull a bone out from the possum. I was like, the damn possum was so small, you couldn't skin it or nothing. You know what I'm saying? So it's like old school where I grew up. You put whole critters in the damn pot and you pick out what you eat and you put the bones on a plate on the side. So I'm thinking in my brain, well, hell, the <laughs> possum's going in the damn pot, you know. <laughs> and that's the way it was. <laughs> But, you know, as you watch that and they, they did it with your episode, I say your episode, where 
where they make it like, well, only Grubbs is the one who does wild game. And right away, you had a target on your back. And it was no surprise at the end when that's the episode you go out on. And then But Sylvie, it was uncomfortable for me, too. From the day, from the start of that day, going into filming, you know, and you're thinking, well, what the hell? And they're all like in the background. I said, you find out what you're going to be doing. You're sitting there in the morning lighting your fire. You don't actually know what meat you're going to get yet, but you know you're doing wild game. And so you got like an hour or two before you actually see what you got. And they're all like, well, Grubbs has got this, Grubbs got this. I said, y'all need to just worry about something else right now. I mean, it was like, it was pressure. I mean, I, no, wild game is one thing, but when they start throwing, you know, damn near ostriches and kangaroos and all this other garbage, you don't know what the hell it's going to be. Like, I'm from southwest Louisiana, man, grew up in Florida, too. I, I, give me a deer. I might have cooked a neck roast from a bear. You know, I'll cook plenty of wild hog. I'll cook a damn whole pig in a heartbeat. I can cook some gator tail, fish, snake. But some of this stuff is like, damn, I, cause, you know, I ain't never been so hungry where I had to cook a damn raccoon. I've tasted it, but I ain't never <laughs> been so hungry where I had to cook one, you know. <laughs> had you cooked a possum before, too? Never. Never cooked yeah. one, but I've tasted it. Yeah. You know, and but you weren't able to do any research, right? You just had to come up with a recipe and, and cook yeah, it right there. Yeah. Yeah. And one had to, on that episode, one had to be grilled, one had to be stewed. So you had to make the choice, do you stew the bison or do you stew the possum? And in my mind, you know, the possum, it didn't have no paws on it or nothing. They, the feet were cut off, and that was one thing they didn't show. I told them, y'all don't put this animal up in front of me with no feet. Hell, it might be a house cat. I, I don't know what this thing is, you know what I'm saying? No, it's possum growing. Well, you got to watch out for those teeth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the teeth. Yeah, those teeth staring at you. But it's creepy, man. But it, it was a blast. And it, I tell you, the possum was really good. Now, I, I could cook stew here now, but now my family, they're like, well, damn, we want to see you do it first. You know, we, we want to make sure you didn't throw no roadkill in that rascal. <laughs> no. Well, you know, they did the same thing to Sylvie on her show. I'm not saying they did it to her, but when it was ribs, right? And then she said, oh, well, I'm the queen of ribs or I'm the queen. And then the next thing you know, she ends up in the bottom. It's almost like... It shouldn't be something you specialize in because that's like the death knell, you know? Well, well you got to realize we, we cooked the time, the time restraints were 100% real. And not only did the judges, but the producers had to say so on how each episode ended. So take that in consideration as television. I mean, y'all all ask about the main thing about uh, why we wore the same clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, why'd you wear the same clothes? Because if I said something in episode one, a quick quip or whatever, they could show it in episode four and you wouldn't even know the damn difference because we were encouraged to not, I mean, like as far as my little beard and stuff, not to shave or to look the same every episode. We had clean clothes, but they had to go to lawn. You know, they could, you go to the hotel after shooting and they would come, wardrobe would come pick up your clothes and give you another set. So they bought them. Huh. They, yeah, they dressed us like they wanted us to look. They came to my room that first night these two young ladies from wardrobe said, well, try this on, try this on. They took pictures and sent it to the producers. And then you'd wait a few minutes and then you'd get the confirmation that, hey, that's the uniform, you know? Oh, so those were not your outfits? You didn't you didn't bring that? Even the bandana? No. No. No, I wear a bandana when I barbecue in the summertime because of sweat and I wear purple because I'm from Louisiana, LSU, mm-hmm. and I, I joined the fight against cancer every year, which is the color purple. That's why the bandana was the bandana. But no, they asked for pictures prior, and you send a few pictures of you cooking. Then when you get there, they have this stuff on a rack, and they said, well, try this on the seat, you know, and they get your look. 
So, Krabs, let me ask you, uh, the, the cooking process, I, I saw on the show you had the big green egg, looked like you had a drum smoker, and you had a Traeger. Was there anything else, or would you, did, they changed anything that you preferred? No, they changed every time, and we always had a Lang, we always had a green egg. Now, the Traeger came in, we had a Vortex grill, we had an ugly drum smoker, the open pit fire, which we had to do with the wild game issue, so... These are cookers. I mean, I'd never cooked on a pellet grill in my life. I never have, ever. Because, I mean, at one point, I went in there and I hit smoke to try to get the flavor and whatever I was cooking. I mean, I think it was ribs I stacked in there. I actually had a good rib day that day. But I was, uh, I said, the temperature goes way down. But this morning, I was like, what the hell's going on? Because I'm trying to cook hot and fast because you only got five or six hours to do the whole damn thing anyway. They ain't, it ain't like you got all afternoon. That time is real. But I've owned a green egg for... 20 years. I got an electric cook shack smoker I've owned for 20 years. I got a stick burner. I got a kettle. I got a Blackstone. So I've recently bought a pellet grill in March of last year and I burned it out of it. I love it, man. Different cookers. That's what I'm saying. This is like Disney World, man. I mean, when you went to the little section and when they said light your fire, so they always gave us like, when you get on set, we got there early, we would eat, they would feed us. And then they would say, light your fires. And you didn't know what cook you go to your station and you see these cookers and you're like, I never used that before, but, and they weren't going to tell you what you're going to use until it was time to tell you what you had to use. Cause some of the challenges said, well, you have to cook it on this. You have to cook it on this. And, but you didn't know. So the best thing you could do when you get there after breakfast, you got like 30, 40 minutes, light them all up, light all of them, you know, because you don't know what you're going to have to do. So figure it out, go get some damn pellets, go get some wood, go get some charcoal, whatever you need. And that's how it went because the green egg, I mean, I'm a lump charcoal guy. I've been there. I love my green egg. I just did Valentine's Day for my wife on it. And I love my pellet grill. Do pizzas on them all the time. And I'm learning the pellet grill. Killer jerky machine, by the way. But uh, I didn't have one then. But I have cooked on a green egg. I've done my own fire management from a reverse flow to, you know, indirect to whatever. I've I, the first three or four times I won a local rib cook-off was just getting a 55-gallon drum cut in half, raised up with charcoal on one side and ribs on the other, you know. Fire management is what you learn from barbecuing over time, no matter what you're cooking with. And so it didn't matter to me. I just light them all up, and they say what you got to use, go use it and do it, you know. Did they do any, like, sabotages or anything? Well, I heard Tina on a, on a show, and she thought they, were, they did a few sabotages or something, or, or did the things that happened just really happen? Well, I'm going to take the high road, okay? <laughs> well, what I'm saying, no, what I'm saying is that I, don't, I wouldn't call it that, but what I would say is that maybe you were encouraged to go in a different direction as far as ingredients go. What I'm, what I'm saying is, like, Okay, they would say, well, after you find out what you were going to cook, what are you going to cook? I don't know. So the, the, while you're doing whatever, you're running the fires and you're going back and forth, they're stocking the pantries and stuff, okay? And oh. the pantry was nice, okay? I ain't going to lie. But you, the first day we went in there, I remember I heard one or two, and I don't know that I did because you're so centered, man, and focused. It's, it's unbelievable that, like, well, I saw this there and that there, but then when I went there the other day, it wasn't there. You know, it's like... And I'm going to tell you, here's a story from my point of view, dude. Interesting. The very first episode, I made sausages because that's what I do. And I'm stuffing sausages with a grinder on the very first episode. That's a hell of a job. That, and it sucks. You know what? Right to my right on the wall behind me, 10 sausage stuffers stacked on the wall. That's how focused 
That's how you're how much focus you are. You I didn't see those sausage stuffers over there. I was just worried about doing what I had to do. And when it came to plating, the same thing. I go down to the end where all the plating stuff is, and I'm looking, I'm saying, oh, there ain't nothing here. I get what I can get, do what I can do. And I realized behind me was a whole other two shelves of plating stuff. <laughs> but you didn't see that. That was the first and you're all you're one hundred percent focused on what you have to do in that time limit. I mean, this is a driving force of what happens at the show. I mean, it really is. Back to clothing for one second. I thought the, the the funny thing is, and as I'm researching for this for this interview, Ashley with his shirt, he's wearing the the long sleeves, and he decides, oh, I can't wear long sleeves, and he rips them. You know, he rips them, and and then it, every episode now he's got the short sleeves. So yeah, they went and sewed them up, and yeah, <laughs> all the shirts they had in wardrobe for him, they had hemmed up and everything for him. I mean, it's just. I mean, that was, it was hot, dude. I ain't gonna lie to you. It was freaking hot. I think we had heat indexes between 102 to 115. And you're also around all these cookers. I was, you know, there's an inside cooking thing and an outside. And believe me, I tried to do as much as I could inside. At least there was fans blowing this stuff, you know. Outside, it was hot. And you can see we were all sweating and doing it. But, you know, it's, you know, September in damn Covington, Georgia, man. That's That's the way the temperature goes, you know. Now, do you keep in contact with anybody else from the the show? I know you're you're good friends with Tina for seven, you know, five seven years. So, yeah, all of them though. I, all of them. Everybody, as far as I know, and I ain't even trying to get up in nobody's business about what they're doing. But as far as I know, I mean, you know, I keep in touch with all of them. If I got a. I had a question about a jerk recipe I, that I'm cooking. I want to. I'm gonna message Rashi and get it. You know, but I, we talked to all of them. And I I am regardless of anybody else in the, that was on the show and where their relationships are with each other, I am 100% ground neutral with everybody, okay? I love them all. There's no reason for anybody not to want to contact me or whatever. So, I mean, it's, it's all good, man. I mean, there's no – it truly was as friendly as it was on set. It really was that way. I'm Man, I feel honored, man. I mean, even when I post stuff on Instagram and – Rutwood or Kevin Bledsoe, you know, I make a little sausage comment. Kevin comes in with a little follow-up. Because I looked up to these people, you know, Kevin and Melissa. I knew who they were going into this. Didn't know they were going to be there when I got there. But after the fact, you know, it's like, wow, you know, these are respected people in the world that I'm trying to be a part of. And in hindsight, I'm going to tell you this too. You know, other than me being so focused on everything, I would have, I should have sat back a little bit more and took in a little bit more information from the judges during the show. I think might have helped me go on, but it's it's so you're so focused and the stress and the, all that's real there that it's, it's hard. You know, second hindsight's always like, oh, I should have done this, should have done that. But it was amazing. I mean, <clears throat> to be a part of it with those people that were involved. I'm telling. When I walked into the hotel room. And I saw Miss Sylvie, which I, because I follow the World Food Championships and Memphis May and these things. And you see these people and you're like, holy crap, I just got called down here to come cook with these guys or against these guys. It's like, holy moly. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, it was amazing. Grubs, the part, I'm always curious about this because, you know, they even, there's a TV show, Modern Family, where they even, it's supposed to be like a reality show. And then they show them all on a couch. You know, the part where you're sitting in a chair and you're talking about what is currently going on, when do they film that? They, do they take you, they don't pull you away from what you're doing and film it, do they? 
No, 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 no. The day after you cook, then you go back and do the that show's interviews. You would go in there the night before, they'd say, okay, look, y'all, so-and-so will be there in the morning, blah, blah, blah. You get up, you go down to the set early in the morning. It's 5.30, 6 o'clock in the damn morning. And they feed you breakfast. They got caterers and set up. There's like 250 people out here running this dang thing, you know what I mean? And everything's set up and blah, blah, blah. And then, okay, get your fires ready. This is your station because if somebody had left, they moved some of the stations. I stayed my same station the whole time I was there. So this is your station. Okay, this is what you got. You walk out there and you see cookers or whatever. You just light them. And then you mingle around. You get things going. They give you 30, 40 minutes because they're not maintaining your fires. That was a question offered by, uh, asked by somebody else, you know, as a fan or whatever. How'd y'all maintain your fires? And what about, you just had to make, that's why you saw George's fire roll up in smoke. That's why I saw Ash's fire get too hot on a skater or whatever it was, because you had to maintain them going back and forth. You know, there's a cooking station inside. The grills were outside. And so there was nobody coming behind you with a little shovel and a fan blowing your fire and stoking your coals. That just wasn't happening. Then that's what made it competitive. I mean, it was all, with all, especially with all the different kind of cookers that were out there. They didn't, I saw, I've only watched it one time, the whole thing. So I may have missed something with the air, but they were, I don't remember on any of the episodes, maybe one that they said that you actually have, they would say it have to be smoked or grilled, but they wouldn't tell you what you had to cook on. But the episodes we filmed, they told us what we had to use. Now, whether it was a promotional deal for the, people on the cookers or whatever it was, they said, okay, you have to use the green egg. You have to use the vortex. You have to use the ugly drum, whatever it was, one meal or one of the meats or whatever you were cooking had to be used on a certain cooking tool. You know, whether you used it ever or not, it didn't matter. And we're going to be having a part two with James Grubbs next time. So stay tuned for that. He's a, he was a, he's a character, Glenn. He really is. Oh yeah. But he's real. You know, yeah, that's, but but of course, like we said on the on the uh, in the interview, he has, you know, he has personality. He does. <laughs> and he is just just a down to earth guy. Well, look, Doug Shiding, down to earth guy, Grubbs, down to earth guy. Have you met anyone in barbecue? OK, through this podcast, being at competitions, whatever it is, Jeff who wasn't, you know, down to earth, who, who just, you couldn't say, you know, you couldn't. No, they're all great. They're, they're all you know, very, very friendly. Right. But Grubbs is just down to earth, but also, you know, you could see him being on other things. I oh, mean, yeah. He has that, you know, he has that personality. And, you know, so it was just thank you to Doug Shiding for coming on with us. And uh, thank you to Grubbs. Yes. And, and of course, come back next time for uh, part two. If he, he was just getting warmed up. <laughs> he, he was, yes. So, Leonard, that's, that's, that, that's a wrap for episode 90. No. Yes. No. We, so that's it? We're done? Well, we have a song to play. By the poet, Shel Krakowski, and the yeah. musician, Dave Dresser? Yes. What song is it, Jeff? Ace and Bobo. I love it. Everybody, stay safe. We'll see you soon on episode 91. Thanks for listening. When this bitch went south so 
Tuesday.